Welcome inside my caged mind. My intro almost started a second time. I am Micah Frankel, Micah Frankel's caged mind. Love to give you really all of my thoughts, just really the thoughts that I have from MMA. Also, you catch you up on some results, maybe some stuff that you didn't read about yet, didn't get published. I don't know. A lot of different th- stuff going on in my head. So this is where I want to spit it out. I'm going to start talking about Bellator 250. Middleweight champion has been crowned again the champion, Gegard Mousasi. I'm kind of disappointed that I was so excited for that fight. I mean, I was really excited for that fight. And Lima comes out ultra respectful, does not throw a lot. Mousasi, early takedown. After that, poked away, jab, the teep kicks up the middle, working the body, too little, too late. From a Douglas Lima who made it interesting later. I didn't think that he really won any of the rounds. Two judges go 49-46. Totally understanding. One judge 48-47. Quite surprised by that one. Musasi, now a champion. And it's weird. I'm, I'm totally over. I am totally over the champ champ thing. I'm totally over the double champ thing. The longevity. The title reign. What... Anderson Silva did, who we'll get to. What John Jones has done, Georgia St. Pierre, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. My God, that gets me excited. But it doesn't seem to do it for the general MMA audience, and it doesn't seem to be the way to make money. The building up the champion, building that legacy, right now it's, yeah, they've done it. They've done it. Let's jump them around. Uh, talking about what's left for Musasi at 185 pounds. Rafael Lovato Jr. felt like that was the fight. John Salter, I don't think the promotion's really been pushing him that hard. A technical grappler, I think that is able to out-jab him. I guess the fight is Nemkov versus Musasi. Is it jumping Musasi right away up to 85? He's already beat Lyoto Machida. Machida goes up to 05, and you know what happened to him with Phil Davis... I'm not sure what is next, really, for Gegard Mousasi. 185 pounds. We're talking about Njikawani. I don't think Njikawani, as much as I love his striking, is going to be able to handle the overall MMA game of Gegard Mousasi. You see Melvin Manhoof, who we'll get to talking about, but he went up now to 205 also to fight Corey Anderson. We'll get to that fight. But I don't know what's left for Gegard Mousasi. A great performance. He wins the title. Douglas Lima, most likely, back down to 170 to defend his title. Says he's not done with 185. Recognizes that he had too much respect. That he didn't put the foot on the gas soon enough. Looked all of in stature and size and width to be a 185-pounder. I didn't see that much difference. You saw that shoulder width. There were areas of his body where Lima was a bigger fighter than Musasi. Musasi, more technical, more aggressive, got the job done. Not to take away from, you know, how great Douglas Lima is, but that was a bad fight for Lima. Interesting to see, is it Neiman Gracie? MVP has not earned a rematch. I think Neiman Gracie in retiring... John Fitch, if you want to rush into it, should be the next challenge at 170 pounds. But that was the big, the big result from Bellator 250 on a Thursday night that I don't know if it 
really garnered that much attention. Jake Hager, the AEW professional wrestler, goes to 3-0, and able to handle a brawl. You saw Sabah Hamasi, the flying knee KO of Bobby Volker. You want to love Bobby Volker, but that's a vicious one. Taylor Johnson had a huge main card, leg lock submission win over Ed Ruth. And now on the prelims, just gets dominated by Johnny Emble. Emble, 7-0. and That's a bright young prospect at 185 pounds. But I don't know if he's really ready for that smoke of a top level of a gay guard Musasi. But definitely 7-0. And already out wrestling, a great grappler. Somebody keep an eye on there. Henry Corrales got the split decision win. Should have been a full decision win. Judges are strange. Corrales looking good. Adam Borish, they both fought on the card. They're both featherweights. I'd like to see that Borish-Corrales fight next up. They were on the same card. That would seem the matchup for me. So that's my takeaways, really, from Bellator. Oh, yeah, and a phenomenal pro debut from Cody Law there at featherweight also. Man, you got to love 145. That kid, a lot of, as we knew coming in, the build wrestling credentials. But then to see him get a Dar's Choke submission, so taking to the finishing already in MMA in your first fight, that is extraordinary to see. Was really happy about that one. And then the next morning, if you're hardcore MMA, you know what I'm talking about. You had one championship inside the Matrix. The first of what's been announced now is three inside the Matrix events that will happen there in Singapore. Um, a quartet, yes, a four-pack of title fights. You first off saw Jing Zhang retain the women's one championship strawweight bout, uh, title, defeating Tiffany Teo by decision. And man, that one, that one was spectacular. Just a brutal back-and-forth brawl. If it wasn't for ladies later on stealing the night, I'd say it was one of the best title fights of all year. Now it's actually third because you cannot go past that Zhang Wei Li and Yuan and Jacek fight at the beginning of the year. But right here, Zhang versus Teo, I'd say it was the third best women's title fight of all year. And I'll tell you which one was number two here in just a little bit. Tan Lee shocking. All of Asia over there stopping Martin Hewitt and becoming the new one featherweight champion. It was in the third round. Hewitt's aggression seemed to be catching Lee off guard. And Lee finally landed a big hook. Wolbacking up was able to turn the tide and get the finish. That one was a big victory for Lee impressing, improving the 12-2. and You've seen him on the Ultimate Fighter. Goes to LFA. Gets signed by one championship and has now really found his stride. Picks up that title belt. Pretty sure you're going to run that one back one more time and see Lee versus Hewan again. The co-main event for the one lightweight championship. Christian Lee disposes of Yuri Lapilus in just over two minutes. Just a disgusting striking display. Great job by Christian Lee. The Hawaiian... Man, when this guy becomes free agent, that is going to be a top prospect. You think about Angela Lee, Christian Lee, that whole family there representing Hawaii. How Bellator 
has their promotional status there with Alimale McFarlane and taking big-time events to Hawaii. With the prestige that the UFC has had with BJ Penn and Max Holloway, and then now their current relationship with one championship, that family, a bona fide martial arts dynasty, going to get paid. And then in the main event, you have the Netherlands spoiling Maymar's champions, double champ reign, Ang La Sang gets taken down, back taken, and Reiner De Ritter, yes, Reiner De Ritter gets the rear naked choke. It starts off as a crank, able to get it under the chin. And saying, very vicious striking, but man, when he got that back taken, the hand fighting was good until it wasn't, and then it was very bad. Never fighting the hands and the choke when it was the crank really just trying to press off the arm. It was a bad technical decision. Cost him one of his titles. So your new middleweight champion there in one championship is Renner Day Ryder. Anglon Sang still holding the light heavyweight title in one championship. A fun night, a fun morning of fights. A night there in Singapore. But a fun morning for us watching it on BR Live. Then you had... Friday night where LFA was back on UFC Fight Pass. And I told you I was going to tell you what was the second, yes, the second best women's title fight of the year and one of the best title fights I've seen ever. And that's hard to go against. Like we said, Zhang Wei Li versus Yonan and Jacek, historical, all-time great. And this one's the second best title fight of the year I've seen from the women. It's Lupita Godzinez dethroning Vanessa Demopoulos of the LFA Women's Strawweight title. Lupita with an incredible jab. Great boxing awareness and fundamentals. The one-two was on fire. Early on, you saw Godzinez landing, hitting big shots. Really several times thinking we were just a couple strikes away from seeing her finish Demopoulos. Vanessa, a warrior, able to really find her. She had to get hit a little bit, I guess, to wake up and then find her distance. The punches and the kicks. Also, a great knee up the middle. Started landing, and you saw Demopoulos take the last couple rounds. A majority decision win for Gardenas. That fight is the reason, if you don't have, that you need to have UFC Fight Pass. Go back. LFA 94. Got to watch that title fight. Calling it right now instant classic type stuff. A fighter to definitely keep watching out for. Aaron McKenzie. He's a Rafael Lovato Jr. disciple. Surprised Bellator has not picked this guy up already. 9-2-1. Disgustingly tough. Brawling on the feet. Throws you to the ground. Cannot be submitted. And then beats you for trying to submit him. McKenzie takes down Joe Giannetti. Giannetti now 0-2 in the LFA after the Ultimate Fighter, after the debacle in the finale with being gun-shy. Looked, looked like he had really worked through the mental aspects. It got on a win streak. Gets on that LFA platform right now. And these two fights, he's not been able to find the submission and has got grinded out in back-to-back performances. Chase Gibson defeats Ty Clark. A submission, a Darish choke in a bout that is quite controversial a, a bit of controversy. You see, Gibson gets Clark locked up 
in a Darish choke. Clark is head down, face towards the inside of his sternum. And it looks like, it looks like from Clay's side, it looks like on the Fight Pass video that Gibson tells the ref Clark's out. Clark's eyes look to be open, but he does not argue the submission call, and it is such a feel-good moment. Gibson lost his brother during the pandemic. He's taking the fight on a month's notice. His brother just passed. Fight through that kind of emotion, that kind of adversity. That's warrior status. I mean, that is total warrior shit. Amazing stuff from Chase Gibson. Fernie Garcia, dude, another prospect that Florida's MMA is producing. They got technical jabs. They got good boxing. They can wrestle. A split decision victory. I thought it was going to be unanimous. A good win for Fernie Garcia. Keep on, keep on, keep on impressing me. Moving up 15 pounds. Going from 170 to 185 on short notice. Opening up the main card. You saw Jalen Fuller pull off a submission. The power guillotine. Yes, the power guillotine, sir. Not the front naked choke or front rear naked choke or whatever was announced by the ring announcer, Mike Kendall. We love you, but nah, it's a power guillotine. Jalen Fuller still unbeaten and hands Miles almost his first loss. Powerful strikes. Powerful strikes from Fuller. Snapping. Pow. Making a noise. Banging off of almost. Almost is the 85er. Naturally. This is normally his weight class. Fuller moving up. Almost wanted no part of that striking. Trying to get it on the grappling. Fuller almost had the power guillotine earlier in the fight. Finds it in the third round. In space. Was landing big shots. Fighting off. Takedowns. It's been the recipe so far. Sprawl, brawl, bang, and finish. They've been early. They've been late. Now it's three out of the four by stoppage. Jalen Fuller, wow. I, I Again, impressed by that guy's finishing ability and what he's been putting forth. That was Friday night. Jump on over to Saturday. And we said goodbye to a legend. Uriah Hall... Anderson Silva in the main event. Anderson Silva looked good for the first two rounds. And what was that? Four and a half minutes, four minutes and 45 seconds. Being more aggressive, really a lot more aggressive than we had seen the spider be in quite literally forever. I mean, that's been one of the things that's bothered people about the decline of Anderson Silva has been his tentative, his tentativeness to get in the brawl, to mix it up. We've seen him get caught a couple times. And even early on when in his career, even when he wouldn't get caught, you saw him be more aggressive with the jab, more aggressive with a lot of different strikes. And here he was, again, being aggressive. So that was a good sight to see. But unfortunately... Silva gets caught, and it's caught in a big, big way by Uriah Hall. The leg kicks were starting to affect Hall. There was a smooth jab from Silva, but it's the Hall right hand at the end of that third round. I mean, man, that right hand was big. And you're thinking, 
15 more seconds on the clock there in the third round, and the fight's probably over from Silva being on his back to getting in on a single. And hammer fists are just raining down. If there's more time left on the clock, the fight's done in the third. In the fourth, Silva gets recklessly aggressive, running in with hooks, and his clock gets clean by another right hand. The finish happens on the ground. And an emotional moment as a crying Uriah Hall is apologizing to Silva, to his inspiration. A guy that's the reason that he's doing this. I mean, that was a moment. A moment that that we'll remember. And people have said, what did Uriah Hall gain from this fight? He's number 10. Silva's unranked. You do get to add that name. You do get a paycheck. You do get a main event victory. Unfortunately, you had to put the nail in the coffin. It had to be done. And you got over a mental hurdle. That is the biggest point. And I think that is being underlooked. And that needs to be with an exclamation point. The mental hurdle. There has been mental adversities. And there's a lot of mental mental fortitude that goes into mixed martial arts. And fighting another man. And I think it was a big moment. For Hall, who obviously let the moment get to him in the tough finale. Who's let the moment get to him in some of the bigger opportunities that he's had in the UFC. This time didn't. This time was able to compose himself, be a sniper, and get the job done. We can't forget that this is an Anderson Silva. Who, yes he got finished, but it was from injury with those Jared Cannonier leg kicks. Not taking anything away from them. And a fight before that. It was an Anderson Silva that went 15 minutes with an Israel Adesanya that did not find the kill shot. So I think it was very impressive and did speak volumes that Hall was able to find the tenacity, get through that moment, and be able to land a punch like that against somebody that he respected so much. I think it meant more than people really want to lead on to. Greg Hardy just whaps Maurice Green. Lead left uppercut, a beautiful punch. It's the second knockdown of the fight. Improved ground skills and swarming for the finish. Obviously, it's hard to cheer for the man. I don't know anybody that really can. But an athlete, an incredible talent. All of those words are definitely apply to Greg Hardy. And he found the finish of Maurice Green. He's starting to understand what he's doing out there. It's a big heavyweight who hits hard, moves fast, tons of athleticism. A Greg Hardy, Francis Ngannou main event could lure one day. It really could as a heavyweight title fight or even against Miocic. I mean, Hardy could find his way there. We still got to see when he gets to some of these upper levels how he takes a shot. You got Rosenstrike, but he looks all the part of a heavyweight contender in the making. Greg Hardy coming together under the tutelage of a lot of veterans. You got Dean Thomas, Rashad Evans, Frank Lester. There's a lot of MMA knowledge and experience that is backing Greg Hardy. So it's not a surprise to see with a guy that athletic and that much of athlete athleticism able to focus and be that impressive in another sport. Kevin Hall, the first fighter to do it, makes it 4-0 in 2020. Could be leading those UFC Fighter of the Year kind of awards. 
fought through some flashy strikes from Charlie Ontiveros, then gets in on a takedown from the back, gets the body lock trip, slams down Ontiveros, who verbally submits. I guess he had a stinger through his neck. Now Dana White says that everything checked out fine. Ontiveros has feeling he is all right. But a big victory for Kevin Holland, who wants to turn around real quick after getting that finish. A slam, still devastating. They're special when you see them. It was a close fight, and I I think Bobby Green beat Tiago Moises. Not going to get too crazy, but Moises edges that one out. Alexander Hernandez, this is a guy who went, switched teams. He's over there in Factory X, Factory X, producing a bunch of killers. And he... Puts the striking together and totally just destroys Chris Gutzmeyer with low kicks and then finds the punches upstairs to get the stoppage. Spectacular performance from an Alexander Hernandez who's again showing you why early on in his career he got that big win over Benil Dariush and was catapulted into the rankings, maybe went a little too deep into the water too quick, but you see the flashes of why he can be a factor here in the next couple years. On that same tiff, a lot of power. Adrian Yanez just picked apart his opponent and hits Mr. Rodriguez with a head kick while exiting out. Yanez, we had seen the striking. It's smooth. It's technical. His boxing is crisp. He adds in those kicks. Another top prospect at 135 pounds to go with how the card opened up. And Miles Johns knocking out Kevin Navidad with an uppercut that lifted Navidad off his feet. Striking in the moments that are awkward. In the breaks. It's a different kind of MMA. You can't just strike when you strike. You got to watch out and be aware on the breaks. That was a spectacular finish. And one more time to talk about Factory X. Justin Jacoby chewed up Justin Ledette's front leg. And then the uppercut finish. The night was brought to you by Uppercuts. And that's also to shout out to Gravante Davis. Smashing. Absolutely destroying Leo Santa Cruz with that six round uppercut. Beautiful victory there, sir. So a lot of great stuff this weekend and this past week from the combat sports world. Talked about. Davis just mentioned that you got UFC, one championship, Bellator, and LFA all Championship fights, all big, all big, big, impressive finishes across the board at these events. All the results are at cageminds.com. But I'm a little, I'm a little worried, and this is stuck on my mind. If we can ever, you know, really believe a retirement, because the one that I thought I could believe is quickly backpedaling. Dana White says he still had communications with Habib Nurmagomedov and feels that the Dagestani lightweight champion of the world will come back for the elusive 30-0. Again, he had compared 30-0 to Mayweather's 50-0. Is this totally surprising? A little bit. It's a little bit devastating and disheartening because there was hope that if there's one guy that's saying I'm returning, retiring early and walking away, and you can believe that, we thought it was Nurmagomedov. But it sounds like there's now a backpedal, and a lot of people do believe he's going to try to achieve his father's dream, which I guess was 30-0. We'll see if that's possible. 
it's then be it then becomes a question of who will be the opposition for that 30th fight automatically at the top of the list has to be GSP that man's name George St. Pierre the greatest welterweight of all time his name kept coming up all of fight week all of fight week for UFC 254 that would be the obvious answer Nurmagomedov has already talked about to be called the greatest of all time he would need to get past GSP. He's coming back for this grand challenge of 30-0. It makes sense. But there are some pundits out there to offer up a other side of the argument that would say that would say the winner of January 23rd's UFC 257 headliner between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, the winner of their rematch. That because of the ranking spots there, two and four, automatically the winner there is the number one contender in the lightweight division. Michael Chandler is the free agent prize that just came over for Bellator. The former multiple-time Bellator world champion, he came here for big fights. Wouldn't you want to see Chandler versus Nurmagomedov? Well, Chandler has already offered up that he would like to fight Tony Ferguson. Up, oh, Tony Ferguson. See, that's the other guy. When you ask me, there are three names. Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson, Giorgio St. Pierre, and it goes GSP first. You make Chandler fight Ferguson. The winner of that is the de facto. If for some reason you can't come to terms, you can't make it happen, GSP versus Nurmagomedov is what we want to do. If we can't, the winner of that other fight, I think, earn, earns the opportunity. I mean, anything short of booking Nurmagomedov Ferguson for a sixth time, anything short of it causing a tsunami, zombies, I'm like, I'm, I'm down. Let's try it. We already got COVID-19 going on. Let's try to book the fight one more time. Let's do it. It's the one I'd want to see if we're talking about Habib in another lightweight fight. But that's if, you know, Tony, who totally got throttled by Justin Gaethje, can get past Michael Chandler because that's another legit challenger. And there's some questions left now about Tony Ferguson after that horrid performance. I know 12 fights in a row. It's unfair to make you have to win one more. But I'm intrigued to make you do it to get to Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov is coming back and optimally should fight Giorgio St. Pierre. There's probably a plethora of reasons why we don't know if the UFC will be able to negotiate those contracts and make that fight happen. But it's also interesting to note where where Dana White says that Nurmagomedov is probably going to come back for 30-0. He has not vacated the title. John Jones has vacated the title at light heavyweight. It appears he's going to heavyweight. If Nurmagomedov is coming back for 30-0, I've said it before and I said it to Mike Adams on, on the mic. Hope you guys listen to the show, uh, 610 AM and 95.9 FM locally, the sports animal, Albuquerque, New Mexico, or you can check it out, 610knml.com. Um, throw that out real quick. I told Mike, this will be the last time we ever seen Nurmagomedov at 155 was UFC 254. It was hard weight cut, and he wants GSP next. So why wouldn't he vacate the title? I guess if you want to let the pot simmer on the stew and really see how he wants to stir it up, I think Nurmagomedov GSP is the biggest fight you can do, and you do that at 170. So what happens to that late white title? Well, still Ferguson fights Chandler. Connor's fighting Poirier. The two winners, bada bing, bada boom. And you got a lightweight title fight right there. 
I like how that mini tournament could work out unofficially. Just me. Just take it from me. That's what I'm hoping we do with the lightweight title belt. Talked about Adesanya. Talked about John Jones. Why? Because they keep talking about each other. They keep tweeting about each other. They are hot on each other's tongue. And now they may become even hotter on each other's tongues because Izzy's 2021 plan already and announced by Dana White is to move up to light heavyweight. Yes, it's happening. Another guy trying to become champ champ, the double champ. Israel Adesanya is going to go up to 205 pounds and will be the next challenger and the first challenger apparently for Jan Blahovic's light heavyweight title that he just picked up, vacated from John Jones. Blahovic is the champion, and he's going to be fighting the middleweight champion, Israel Adesanya. For Blahovic, it's a big fight. For Adesanya, it's an opportunity to pick up a belt. For their fan bases, it's intriguing. For a mass, it's possibly the super fight that nobody asked for, but it's a bridge to possibly get that Jones fight. Because then you got two belts, and you're able to call out John Jones. Because John Jones is going up to heavyweight, but this is a process. Do we see that process stop to come back to shut up Adesanya to take back his belt one more time? Like we said, that might even end up being a 220-pound catchweight. Does Adesanya do something where he tries to become the first triple champ? I mean, we got triple C with his Olympic medal, but does Adesanya try to build that bridge and go 85-205, and then, man, I'll fight you as I'm 220, and go at John Jones for a heavyweight title? There's a lot of interesting things there. Interesting, though, that we would hear this week that we're going to see Israel Adesanya going up to 205, and he's getting a crack at the belt. Why is it interesting that Dana offered that one up? Because it kind of kills the hype. You're a promoter, man, and you're supposed to promote your product. Let's continually promote the product and move forward with it. And that's what I want to do. I want to do everything for the betterment of the UFC. But it doesn't better this weekend's UFC on ESPN 17 main event. It's actually on ESPN 2, your main card, main event. UFC Fight Night, Santos versus Teixeira is what I like to call it. Tiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira. It's two top five light heavyweights. The champion, Jan Blachowicz, has won eight of his last nine fights. The one fight in the middle of those two fight win, two four-fight win streaks is a loss to Tiago Santos. You would think that that, now that Santos fought John Jones to a split decision, only lost to a split decision to the champ, and did that on one leg with one leg completely destroyed, you'd figure returning and healthy that Santos would be right in line for a title opportunity or the possibility to win it. That's what we all expected with a main event against a Glover Teixeira who has won four in a row, submitting Carl Roberson, submitting Inquintilaba, gets the decision over Nikita Krylov, and then absolutely pounds the teeth out of Anthony Smith, mercilessly finally getting the stoppage in the fifth round. Teixeira has been on fire, but yet, He's not getting the opportunity to become the number one contender. I guess the UFC can already smell it. We've never had a light heavyweight title fight that's not a main event. And you kind of feel that a Blahovich to share a pay-per-view, a Blahovich Tiago Santos pay-per-view, it just doesn't sell. And then it's always the larger weight class gets the bill. Are you putting Zhang Wei Li in the main event ahead of the light heavyweight title? So Israel Adesanya... With his incredible record, with the destruction that he did of Paulo Costa, has leveraged his momentum and his stardom into 
the number one contendership there in the light heavyweight division. Israel Adesanya has his sights set on now becoming a multi-division champion. So the path for Adesanya right now, and this is just me speaking, I don't know what his thoughts it would look like, it's Blahovich to go up to 205. Maybe get a quick run back down to 85 and make that rematch happen with Robert Whittaker, put to bed the middleweight division, and then you're looking at the super fight. Maybe you even bypass that Whittaker rematch at this point. Whittaker was in no hurry to demand his rematch, kind of enabling Adesanya to demand this Blahovich fight as he wants to stay active, but Whittaker is the obvious number one contender there at 185 pounds. Do you bypass middleweight and set your sights on the super fight with John Jones. I've already alluded to it. Could we see Adesanya go for the triple C? I'm not sure. But again, it's a misstep for Dana White to announce Adesanya going up to 205 a week early. You do that after this fight, this tos- the uh, this uh, you do that after this Tiago Santos Glover to share a fight. Sorry everybody, I'm eating my tongue, tripping on my words. It makes more sense if you say neither one of these guys was impressive enough. But again, with the destruction of a four-fight win streak for Tessera with Santos, having fought Jones so close and having done so well at 205 pounds, you felt like this was a number one contender's bout, not just a nice, light, heavyweight fight. Co-main event, Andre Arlovsky, the former champion, versus Tanner Bozier. Bozier, it took a moment for the Canadian to really find his groove inside of the octagon. The fight against Surreal Gone, who hasn't had a go rough for him, even though it was a win, it was not a highly active win against Daniel Spence. But these last two, the knockouts of Felipe Wins and, ha- and Rafael Pessoa, have put him on the map and given Bozier this opportunity. I think if the Canadian pulls off the victory, the UFC looking for these next big names at heavyweight to step forward. I think the Canadian has a huge opportunity. In the middleweight division, this one, this one is a fun one. Ian Heinrich meets Brendan Allen. Heinrich, a Colorado State wrestling champion. A lot of big knockout power. Five knockouts, two submissions. Uh, formerly from Colorado, now fighting out of Genesis MMA. Has spent a lot of time in Thailand. Coming off of TKO of Gerald Mershart. Which ended a two-fight skid. You saw Heinrich get all the way up to fighting Derek Brunson at UFC 241. He was sniffing the deepest ends of the middleweight division. And now he's back on a win, back in the win path. And taking on a rugged Brendan Allen. Allen had two chances at that LFA title that did not come through fighting grueling battles with Eric Anders and Anthony Hernandez. And since that Hernandez victory, now accounting for seven fights in a row, seven victories in a row, defeating Kevin Holland, Tom Breeze, and Kyle Dawkins here in the octagon. He has grinded out some tremendous grapplers and showed his teeth. Eight submissions, five knockouts. That's 13 finishes and 15 victories for Brennan Allen, a ruthless, rugged guy. The dirtier this one gets, the more Brennan Allen will love it and the more he'll be favored. 
Claudia Gadelia, 18 and 4. She's going to take on Zion Yan, who comes in, or Yan Zhan, who comes in at 12 and 1. Gadella back to back decision wins, beating Ronda Marcos in that controversial split decision over Angela Hill. Really, the last four fights have been close. That Marcos fight a little wider. Gadella, as her striking has improved, I've honestly seen less dominance from the wrestling game. Gadella with seven submission victories, two knockouts. But again, we haven't seen a finish from her since 2017. The last five going to decision, three and two in those fights. Versus Jan, the Chinese fighter who comes in with a lot of momentum and has been on a roll since being in the UFC, outstriking all of her opponents, beating Caitlin Kern, Viviana Pereira, Angela Hill, and Carol Kim, Carolina Kolkiewicz. This is Jan's opportunity to make a statement. She comes in number eight in the 115-pound division, while Gadalia is still there, holding at four, wanting to make an effort, though, of not being that top five gatekeeper, wanting to position herself for a title opportunity. I think that Jan really does have the the upper hand in this one, is going to pull off a big surprise to a lot of people. Yeah, so I'm picking the underdog there versus the bigger name of Gadalia. Also on that main card, James Krause Simmons, 7-2, and two, making his short-notice debut to take on Giga Chikatse. Chikatse, former kickboxing champion, been in there in glory, in Bellator. He's finding, finding his groove in the UFC. We've yet to see him put together a stoppage, but it was a cracking performance against Omar Morales. And here is a quick turnaround, just having fought in October. 3-0 and so far in 2020. And in a six-fight win streak for Chikotse after getting caught in that submission by Austin Springer on the Contender Series in 2018. And that's your main card. Prelims include Bevon Lewis, who I've had the opportunity to talk to several times in an interview against Trevin Giles. Lewis Coming off of a victory, it was much needed to beat Daquan Townsend to show off his wrestling, to use some of that clinch work. After the devastating knockout loss to Raya Hall, where Lewis was looking great for 11 minutes of the fight before getting knocked out and then having the decision not go his way against Darren Stewart. So Lewis back in the win column. The guy is a beast. He's taking on Trevin Giles, Giles, who passed out before his last fight, actually had his heart stopped for a moment, returned to the octagon quite quickly for that tragedy. But I guess if his medicals all check out, let's go. Coming off of a split decision win technically over James Krause from February outside of that traumatic incident. So one in his last two, or one win in his last three fights, same as Lewis, but for reals. These are two incredible prospects there in the middleweight division. Uh, Giles has fought at 205 and at middleweight, picking up titles in Legacy FC in both weight classes. Also fought in the LFA. Came to the UFC and started off his tenure with two big knockouts before the two submission losses. Now coming off that split decision win over the short notice opponent. So both guys... With a lot to prove. And I love the hype. I love the ability of both guys. I think that 
Giles lets the fight come to him at a little bit more, and Lewis is a bit harder striker. You also have Hanu Barcelos taking on Khalid Taha. That one is going to be another striker's delight. I like the fight here in the welterweight division. Fortis MMA's Razim Brahima. Eight victories all by submission. The guy has heavy hands and catches you with the submissions. Taking on Max Griffin. Griffin, he's lost four of his last five. This looks like a fight where Brahimov is going to be able to make a name for himself. Darren Elkins, another tough vet. He's welcoming in a tough prospect at 13-1. Luis Eduardo Giori. Giori is coming off the submission loss to Ricardo Lamas, but they gave him Ricardo Lamas. That's how high the Brazilian is thought of, or the Argentine is thought of in the UFC circles. Made his debut earlier in 2019 at home against Humberto Bande, a decision victory, and then you give him Ricardo Lamas, and now Darren Elkins, 13-1, and the 31-year-old definitely with some big aspirations, and obviously that's shown from what the matchmakers are giving him, where Darren Elkins, the guy double tough, but a four-fight skid to Volkanovski, Lamas, Ryan Hall, and Nate Landwehr, one more, and we could be seeing the last of the damage in the octagon. So this is do or die, I really feel, for Elkins. Rebooked, was canceled due to a COVID test. Rodrigo, or Marcus Rodrigo de Lima against Alexander Romanov. Romanov 12-0. All 12 victories come by way of stoppage, seven submissions, and five knockouts for the Moldovan. Well, De Lima, the 17 victories, the guys fought at heavyweight. This is a light heavyweight fight, I believe. And De Lima, or actually, sorry, this is a heavyweight fight. He's been known to fight at light heavyweight. Comes off of knocking out Ben Soli in just under 90 seconds. 12 knockouts, 3 submissions for the 35-year-old Brazilian from American Top Team who's basically won and lost every other fight in the UFC, but they've all been entertaining. So prelims are ESPN+. Main card is on ESPN2, and that's going to be your UFC fight night this weekend. Tiago Santos, Glover Teixeira. It feels like, it really does feel like it should be worth and for a lot more than what it is. It's a shame to both of those guys. And just the work that they've put in recently, especially to share with the four-fight win streak. You could almost understand not giving a title fight to Tiago Santos with a win. Well, actually, I even scratched my head at it now because I'm digging deeper in my mind. And this is inside my mind. It's where in my mind. That may not have appealed to a lot of you. But don't forget that Brian Ortega just won himself a featherweight title fight, most likely coming off of like two years away due to injuries. So to say that Tiago Santos would not automatically be back in the same position against the Glover Teixeira on a win streak, yeah, it is quite baffling, the reasoning of the UFC. One more time, main card up on ESPN2. Those prelims. 
7 o'clock Eastern is when the prelims start. Yeah, it's a late start time. Last weekend, oh so early. This weekend, a lot later. Three hours later, in fact. So we're getting started at 5 with the prelims on the plus. Then your simulcast on plus and ESPN2 for that main card. That is at 10 Eastern. It's 8 o'clock in the mountain. That's 7 o'clock on the West Coast. Last weekend, we said goodbye to Habib Nurmagomedov, and he looks to have come back already. This weekend, we're looking to have said goodbye to Anderson Silva. The 46-year-old legend, the most amazing athlete I've ever seen compete in the octagon. When you look back at the devastating knockouts, James Irvin, exposing, thrashing Rich Flanklin around in the clinch. The debut knockout of Chris Lieben going up to 205 pounds and just making Forrest Griffin look like molasses and knocking him out with a jab. There are so many awe moments left in the career of Anderson Silva. I'll always think, I wish the last fight would have been the Stefan Bonner fight. The lore of stepping in on day's notice, saving the card, and the legend walking away. There will only ever be one Anderson Silva. Left us with a ton of amazing moments. And I'm really thankful that I got to be able to watch that career happen. To see that greatness in real time. Not experiencing Bruce Lee or Muhammad Ali in my lifetime. But I experienced Anderson Silva. And that was something really special. It looks like the spider is retiring, and the best thing left to say is thank you, Anderson Silva. Keep up with Cage Minds at cageminds.com, Cage Minds Combat Sports News on Facebook, at Cage Minds MMA on Twitter, Cage Minds underscore CSN on Instagram, Anchor FM, Cage Minds, and on YouTube. Cage Minds MMA Show.